One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, the broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. No one employs Antonio Conte for a quiet life. He's assertive, emotional, demanding. High maintenance, but a high achiever. He's a modern manager, impatient and driven by short-term ambitions. Can he achieve those ambitions at Spurs? He doesn't sound too hopeful, does he? Criticising transfer policy and suggesting they've only got 1% chance of qualifying for the Champions League doesn't really augur well. I suppose the question is, Adrian, will he be there next season? doesn't feel like it, does it? It's, it's pretty abrasive from Antonio Conte towards Daniel Levy, towards Paratici, who's obviously in charge of recruitment. Very, very negative. Wonder what the impact might be on the players that, that, that he has. He's, he, he's cons- consistently and constantly telling everybody they're not quite good enough and maybe not as good as he expected them to be. Some of the comments have been nonsensical though I have to say the 1% chance of top 4 I mean it's just that's crazy they, they still have a very good chance of doing it and, and and the bit about losing four important players in the window well they weren't very important to him while they were there were they he didn't use them I mean Hill barely played La Celso and Dombele he kind of humiliated a little bit Deli Ali never really got a crack so so yeah, he's he's coming out with um, some very strange comments, and for for an intelligent person, and he's he's very you know very football intelligent. It surprises me that that he's coming out with this because no one else is surprised at the state of Tottenham because we knew where their squad was at. We knew that they that there was a lot of work to do for him this season, and it appears that he is the only one surprised by that. Yeah, and you know they're going to Manchester City. And of all places, you know, already in his worst run for 13 years, Anne-Marie. One line that did stand out for me was, you can't buy a winning mentality. Now, when Conte said that, was that basically directed at his players? Oh, um, maybe one or two, I would say. I'd like to think, or actually, no, I believe the likes of... Son and Harry Kane, Lucas Moura have that winning mentality already. You can see it from the reactions when they score goals. I cannot believe for a second that they don't have a winning mentality running through their veins. I think it could apply to one or two fringe players who have not necessarily delivered for Antonio Conte on the training ground. Because remember, we don't get to see that privilege of what the players are doing on the training ground as well. Maybe he has spotted one or two things that don't meet the level of standard that he expects from his players. But, you know, Tottenham is a team that is always going to be around the European spots, right? They're not really going to fall out of the top six. They haven't done for a long time. They've had players over the years like the likes of Danny Rose, Carl Walker and Gareth Bale that they've brought in and they've been able to sell on for profit. But they have a manager now like 
Conte, who will expect them to deliver straight away, who will want to win trophies because that's the type of manager he is. He's he's like Jose Mourinho. He's like, sorry to say, he's like Antonio Conte. So Tottenham for me right now as a squad, I think they do have a balance. They have the balance of the young players, maybe who are not necessarily getting a look in as much like the likes of Joe Rondon um, and Ryan Session, Sergio Regulon, Reggie as they call him, he's he's quite a fan favourite. But they have experienced players. They've got Hoiberg, they've got Son, they've got Kane, they've got Mora. It's just they're in a sticky patch right now. And we do have to remember we've still got three months left of the Premier League and three months in the Premier League, as I'm sure Clarkie will attest to, is a long time. So maybe he's just, just giving a couple of players a bit of a poke just to remind them you've got to be, this is a tough league and you've got to be having that winning mentality a la likes, you know, of Liverpool's, the cities. But I think it's a little bit harsh because he's got players in that squad who have that already. Yeah. This defence though, it seems to me, Adrian, is is pretty much a sustained problem, isn't it? You know, why retain faith in Davinson Sanchez, who certainly doesn't look a £42 million player to me on a consistent basis, when you've got someone like Rodon who's ignored entirely. That defence doesn't feel right, does it? No, and I'm surprised it wasn't addressed. I've got to say in the in the January transfer window, obviously Ben Tancourt came in to sort of stiffen up the midfield. But but yeah, when I look at Spurs, there's no issues up front at all. It's it's there are two main problems. It's it's creativity, having that little bit of guile to open teams up when when opponents can handle the Spurs pace and counter attack and and it's at the back, isn't it? And it's not just Davinson Sanchez who I've never really rated. Spurs fans have have, have come at me when I've criticised him before, you know, telling me how good he is, but I don't see it. Um, ben Davis doesn't look the player he was a few years ago. It's the same can be said for Doherty. Emerson Royale, I, I don't rate him either. So yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of a lack of quality in defensive areas for Tottenham Hotspur, and 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 that's why they're. Yeah, that's where the results have, have been patchy lately. The performances against Wolves and Southampton were really bad, weren't they? Very, very messy. So, so yeah, plenty. For, but, but this is what Conte does. Conte is a very good coach. He has a record of, of making players better. I just wish he'd, he'd just crack on and, and get on with doing that rather than bleating about, about the situation that he's inherited. Mm. Well, that defence is going to have to be on its mark on Saturday Manchester City, we've seen them obviously in in Europe this week, Anne-Marie. Do you get the sense that they're reaching new heights and could this be Guardiola's best City team? Reaching new heights, yes. I mean, if they can go beyond space and the universe, absolutely. I think, you know, <laughs> infinity and beyond, isn't it, for City right now? Because if you're a club that's able to spend huge amounts of players and you have that luxury of you know, a team that has two or three in the same position. Of course, at elite level, you're going to be going far, far, far. So, yeah, that spending opportunity, isn't it, for Manchester City? Yeah, I think they're away, aren't they, in terms of the title? I think it's going to be very hard for any team. I know Liverpool, of course, are going to keep up the pressure, and rightly so, and Chelsea still, I think they're in here, but I think City are far and away have been the best team, as they normally do, isn't it? It's that second half of the Premier League season when they really kick into sixth, seventh, eighth gear, despite Champions League looming over them quite heavily. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to that game against Tottenham, actually, as, as Clarkie's pointed out, because defensively, Tottenham aren't where they need to be in City right now. I mean, that absolute pacing that they gave to Norwich City the other day that 4-0 just shows the level that they're at right now and I would find it find it very hard anybody in the Premier League to stop them I think we're all guilty aren't we Mike of having a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to City losing to Spurs on the opening day and saying, well, they're not going to win the title because they haven't got a striker. And we all feel a bit silly don't we <laughs> because they've, they've, they've been so good so many players have stepped up. And what, what I find most impressive about City, and, and maybe it's Guardiola's work, is that it's cyclical where players go in and out of favour and form, don't they? And mm. yeah, but you know, if Bernardo Silva's on song, maybe Sterling's having a having a quieter patch, and then it just check a few weeks later, Sterling's smashing in hat tricks, and then it's Foden's turn, and then it's Mares's turn. With Mares, I mean is there a more sort of underappreciated player around? 
I don't know how many of us would would have Mares in City's sort of number one eleven. He's got seventeen goals, isn't he? Six assists. Yeah. It's mad. Yeah. Um, absolute class player. So um, yeah, they're the real deal, obviously. But I, I still I like Liverpool. I like what they're doing, and and I think that they're capable of applying a bit of pressure during the second half of the season. It's just yeah, Can, will City drop enough points? The, the answer is probably not. Yeah, but Liverpool are at home to Norwich. <laughs> They've had some fortnight, haven't they? Did you think, Amory, that the Champions League actually proved that, that Liverpool and City are on another level to the rest? I watched the Liverpool Inter game and I really enjoyed it as a neutral, actually. It was oh, a game, really, right? really good game. And I, I'm going to be honest here, I didn't bother with the City game against Sporting Porto because I just thought it's just going to be you know, one of those games. So I'm glad I actually tuned in for the mm. Liverpool game because it just showed you where they're at right now in terms of Champions League level. And the substitutions made the difference. And I've never been one of those people writing Bobby Firmino off. I know when Jota came in, it was like, all right, that means that's the end of Bobby Firmino at Liverpool. Far from it. Far from it. And what a great competitor he is and clinical striker that he is as well. So, you know, Liverpool, the level that they're at, I mean, there was a lot of talk afterwards when they won the Premier League and they weren't able to defend their title. There was It was kind of like they felt like they'd regressed a little bit, but I think they're actually going back to the form that they showed when they won the, the Premier League title, and that's now been reflected within the Champions League. So, yeah, I, I really fancy Liverpool having a, a deep, deep run in the uh, UEFA Champions League, and they're becoming more competitive. We've seen that now, and you would expect Liverpool to be a club that is winning a, a title, a trophy, at least in domestically at least domestically. Champions League, I don't know, but at least domestically. So, yeah, what, I mean, Klopp's been there, what, now for seven seasons or so, I would Mm. say. And, uh, yeah, what a remarkable manager he's been for that club. Yeah, well, five of the next six games are at home, which gives them a chance to really set themselves up for the run-in. One thing that, you you know, if you look at it, Adrian, it's an evolving team, isn't it? Klopp had the faith to select Harvey Elliott in Milan. You've got Canate, who is being rotated, but he seems to be coming in, into his own in the centre of the defence. You know, never been on the losing side. So if you look at the team itself, it is sort of growing. It's an almost like regenerating, isn't it? Well, that's what all managers and clubs are setting out to do, aren't they? They plan ahead for a year, 18 months, two years at times, or the all the very best clubs try to at least and you can see the fruits of of that coming coming to you know coming to fruition now because Harvey Elliott is is still a teenager isn't he he's 18 he he's desperate i think to bring in a little bit more athleticism more legs a bit more attacking menace from from central midfield and and Harvey Elliott can do that from the right side or the left he can even play in any of the the, the wide positions up top as well so that's a new face someone to to chip in with goals. What he does that a lot of the other Liverpool midfielders don't do is get into the box. Curtis Jones is another player that, that does that kind of thing. So that's one thing. Canate is, is is quick and someone that can obviously play alongside Van Dijk like we saw in Milan or when he's not around, he he's someone that's maybe being groomed to, to, to be to be a main man there. I mean, Matip's been excellent, so, so it's hard for him to play every week, Canate, but... But yeah, he's a good player. And of course, Luis Diaz. Whoa, what a signing he looks. I mean, he's excellent. And I don't think there are many players around that could be brought into Liverpool and be considered 50-50 to start ahead of Sadio Mane. You know, it's it's, it's a toss-up at the moment. Sadio Mane is a brilliant player who's delivered season on season for Liverpool, but... Luis Diaz looks just as good as him already in a Liverpool shirt. So fascinating sort of competition for places developing there. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, excellent management from Klopp. Again, he's, he is one of the best we've seen in, in Premier League history for sure. Yeah. Well, Diaz, you know, he looks like he's been playing for Liverpool for, for three seasons, not <laughs> yeah. you know bits and bits and bobs in three games. At the other end of the scale, Amory uh, Anfield, James Milner, it was his 800th career appearance in midweek. If you're Liverpool, would you give him a new contract? One, 
because of the example that he sets a young, you know, a, an increasingly young squad. But secondly, is he one of those players you could see transitioning into coaching? Yes and yes. I think he's a, he's a proper utility player. Wasn't there a thing with James Miller? There was a game where he, I think he was like like an acting coach and he was shouting instructions from the timeline. I think it's when the time that Liverpool had to field another team because of various things that were going on at the time. And he was on the touchline and he you could hear him shouting instructions and what have you. And I was looking at him thinking, yeah, you're going to be a coach one day, drinking those Ribenas from the <laughs> sidelines. Um, the beauty, in all seriousness, yes, I think, yes. You know, He's he, older than most coaches out there yeah. at the moment, Emery. Yes. Yes. I mean, they're getting younger and younger, aren't they? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and the beauty about James Milner, not only is he, you know, somebody who's willing to shout from the, the sidelines, but he's somebody who's been able to show that, that versatility. I know we, we wax lyrical about it now, but he's been doing it for years, you know, and he's been the vice captain, he's a penalty taker, he can definitely do a job from the bench. He has a massive role in the dressing room as well, which is key for all the youngers that are coming through. So, yeah, I would expect him to be offered a player forward slash coach deal going forward, whether it's, you know, long term with Liverpool, who knows? But as a good starting point, I think he would be great with the academy players because of, you know, what he's delivered for the club. Legend is a word that I think he's used too easily, but potentially he's going down that road. So, yeah, you know, squeeze as much knowledge and experience out of him as possible because all that stuff in his head that's been there for the last few years as a player and now transitioning for a coach, it would be madness, absolute madness for Liverpool to let that go and let someone benefit from all that experience. Yeah, well, you've already got Steven Gerrard going along that route, haven't you, Aid? Do you think... You know, all managers use every possible tool that they get. Do you think he might use that emotional attachment he has to Liverpool and Liverpool as a club has to him by maybe going back and saying, look, what about selling as Joe Gomez in the summer? Because I get the sense at Villa that they probably will be one of the most aggressive clubs in the market in the summer. Yeah, it's a good shout, actually. Yeah, because Joe Gomez... Without really doing anything wrong, has sort of regressed, hasn't he? He's, he's, the competition for places is really stiff there. He probably does need a, a reboot. We saw what he did with Coutinho, Gerard, bringing him in, calling in. Not a favour, but just Coutinho likes Gerard. He's a former teammate. Yeah, of course I'll come and play for you. I'm sure the same would be, the same would apply to, to Joe Gomez, who would, I think, improve, improve their defence. Yeah, he he would get into it either at centre half or or at fullback, wouldn't he? So yeah, why not? And and Villa are flexing their muscles financially, aren't they? We, we've seen that the last couple of windows, and it feels like the next team that might break in. Obviously, Newcastle are, are almost certain to break into the the so-called big six now. You'd probably put Villa next in line, wouldn't you, in terms of their financial firepower? That they've got more. Muscle, I think, than a Leicester now. Who Leicester have always not been afraid to spend money. Everton the same, but but it does feel like Villa are joining that club. And before we know it, that the, we'll have a big ten who who are <laughs> who are really really going out there, able to afford most players most players on the planet. It's amazing, really. But yeah, Villa, it feels a. a are going to back Steven Gerrard and, and I do rate him obviously he's, he's been a bit mixed so far he's lost lost a few lost more than he's won I believe but but overall I do think they've got themselves a, a pretty shrewd shrewd manager there that, that obviously one day might might be on the radar of Liverpool mm. They're at home to Watford at the weekend Emery Roy Hodgson is he re- reverting to type a bit on and off the pitch I know he's only had a couple of games but he's already you know, had a little nibble at the media post-match, which is, you know, he can be very irritable after games. And I, I don't say that as a criticism. I understand that because all the emotions are flying around. But that Watford team, OK, he, he'll get them organised, but at the expense of the, the creativity, they probably need to score the goals to keep get the points to keep them up. Well, for me, I look at Roy Hodgson's tenure at Crystal Palace and look at where Crystal Palace were then and where they are now under Patrick Vieira. And it's like they've come alive. There's a spark, there's a dynamism now with Crystal Palace. You actually enjoy watching Crystal Palace. They're just It's like the shackles have come off. 
and there's flair in that team. All right, the results necessarily not necessarily going their way sometimes, but you can see that you know they're really going for it. And now that Roy Hodgson is at Watford, the thing that he needed to sort out, which is what his his one of his great strengths is, is to stop Watford from conceding goals. Now. They've had, you know, nil-nils here and there. So he's kind of done that. But at the same time, they're not scoring. And in the Premier League and like the Championship and every other league you're in, you need to score goals. So, you know, Watford knew what they were getting when Roy Hodgson comes on board. He's there to steady the ship and he's there to stop them conceding. But at the other side, they need to score. So he's fixed one part, but now needs to look at the other side as well. And it's not like Watford don't have creative players Ismail Assar, I like watching him a lot. When he's going, he's off like a shot. So need to, you know, get him firing. I know he's he was away at AFCON, but now he's back. They need to, you know, get him firing as quickly as possible. Josh King, Emmanuel Dennis as well, need some help creativity. At least have a go, boys, because you haven't... I know I said, you know, three months is a long time in football, but if you're fighting every time because you're at the bottom of the table, you're going to run out of optimism fairly soon. So you're just going to have to go for it, really, really go for it. And that word shackles, play with the shackles off. Because if things don't go your way, the rot is going to set in even deeper and then it's going to be a bigger hole to get out of. They, they need a few three-pointers, don't they? That's that's what they need. You've seen what Newcastle, you know, three wins in a row, suddenly they they, they look pretty safe, don't they? I do think Sars' return to fitness as well as from AFCON is, is massive. Their record with him... Is so much better. I think thirteen of the fifteen points they've they've got have come when Sars played, and Sars only played half the season. So they've scored, I think, around double the amount of goals, even more than double when Sars has played compared to when he's not. So he, he he's a definite uh, difference maker for the Hornets. Mm. You you mentioned Palace there, Amory. Chelsea are, uh, are there um, at the weekend. The focus. Pre-match uh, will be obviously all around Conor Gallagher. Obviously, he's there on loan, but do you think he's got a first-team future at Chelsea next season? Ooh, oh, oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, I can see I can I can see Clarkie grimacing as well. <laughs> well, I'm glad you gave that one. I'm going, glad you gave that one to Anne Marie. It is so hard, isn't it? Because. It you, on, you look at the goals, you look yeah. at the goals and you think, well, of course, if he could score goals in the Premier League as a box-to-box midfielder for Palace, mm. what could he do for Chelsea? Mm. And he's not he's more than that. He's a ta- he can tackle, he scurries around. Takes his chances as well. He's I, yeah, you know versatile and I would love to see him get his chance. I think would he do as good a job as Kovacic, say, who I would say would probably be someone that, that's similar in style expectations in regards to with and without the ball. I think he's scored more goals than Kovacic in the Chelsea side. Um, Do you think he's more versatile than Mason Mount? Because that's the issue, isn't it? I think that's where the sticking point is for me. Yeah, yeah they're both good. They're both quite similar. Mount can play in the forward areas, can't he? You can, mm. you can sort of shunt him further forward. I, I don't know is the answer, but, but I would have thought Chelsea would owe it to themselves to give... Conor Gallagher an opportunity next season mm. because he has gone out. All he can do as a young player is say, when you send him on loan and say, go on, go and impress, go and show us you're good enough to play for us. That's the message. He wasn't loaned out to be sold and he couldn't have done much much more, could he, Conor Gallagher? So, yeah, I, I would have thought they'd give him an opportunity next season. And yet I feel it'd be a massive loss for Crystal Palace. It just, mm. that's what I'm kind of, you know, Chelsea's, the, the you know, they're like, superstars do you know what I mean it's just and Crystal Palace are now starting to build something there and challenge for stuff and you just think him going I know you know Crystal Palace have got other players as well but I just think he's been such an integral part of that team I just I feel like if he moved I not that he would lose his shine but I just think he gets to shine even more with a team like Palace than he would with than Chelsea I don't yeah it's a tough one Mike (laughs) Yeah, well, the, I think the chemistry is pretty good there, isn't it? Mm. And football is, you know, it's it's so inherently unpredictable. On that note, Aid, I better put my hands up. On Monday, I was, let us say, dismissive of Rangers' chances of doing anything 
in Dortmund, <laughs> you know, apart from maybe swapping the odd shirt. I apologise <laughs> to the Rangers nation because that result in Dortmund was, for me, the highlight of the week. You as well? It was brilliant, wasn't it? I did. I, I, hands up, I didn't see the whole game, but the, the result was a jaw-dropper, wasn't it? You just... You don't expect Glasgow Rangers to go to Borussia Dortmund and and score four goals. The last time I saw Rangers for for a ninety minutes was was when they were battered by Celtic, and I thought, well, they're in a mess. Shea Van Bronckhorst has got a lot of work to do there, and 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 then they go go four one up in Dortmund. <laughs> it is it is crazy, but what a boost it is for for Scottish football. It, it's a huge lift, isn't it? And I have to say, when I watched the old firm, when I saw, and I know Celtic had a nightmare against Bodo Glimt last night. When I watched Celtic against Rangers, I thought the standard of football was very high. I thought the quality of, of the tactical play, the movements, the passing was brilliant from Celtic that night. And you can probably say the same about Rangers from the match in Dortmund. So it does feel like they've... And I know they've got an automatic place, haven't they, next season's Champions League, Scottish football. It feels that that's fully warranted and that these two clubs are now pushing themselves to higher standards. So, yeah, well done to everyone at, at Rangers. The, the only downside is that, that a performance like that will will put eyes on them. The, the scouts will be flooding to Ibrox to, um, to try and pick off some of these players next season. Yeah. Well, Newcastle will probably be the domestic story again of the weekend. They're at West Ham, Amory, in the Saturday lunchtime BT Sport game. I suppose the question is, can they cope uh, without Kieran Trippier, who's been you know, a bit talismanic for him so far, hasn't he? Oh, it must be incredibly frustrating for Newcastle fans right now. They were just on this this momentum. You know, Mike Ashley goes, new owners come in, and we all know about that. Then they get a new head coach. The head coach gets COVID. Then they bring in new signings. Kieran Trippier scores that fantastic free kick. They start getting wins. And then he gets, I think his foot was stamped on, wasn't it? That's the thinking. That's how he ended up with the, the dodgy metatarsal, the fractured metatarsal. And everything had started to swing in Newcastle's favour. And, you know, somebody like Kieran Trippier, who brings with creativity, his Premier League experience. I know he's played in La Liga last year, but he's, you know, he was highly rated at Spurs before he left. You couldn't see this one coming, could you? Him getting an injury. And the thing is with metatarsals, which I'm sure Clarkie's going to attest to, you can't rush those types of injuries back. As we saw with David Beckham, remember that? Mm, And Wayne Rooney, remember that? Sagas so, we have loved. Yeah, well, yes. the, the clue the clue is in the, the name of the sport. It's football. And, indeed, and, indeed. And if you have to kick uh, a hard ball with, with your foot, your foot needs to be in, uh, you know, A1 condition. So, yeah, indeed. it's... Indeed. I, I, I used to get my foot stamped on all the time and I often had to play matches with a padding on, the, on my instep just to sort of protect protect the sort of soreness. It, it kind of par for the course for players to to go into games like that. But, but yeah, when you've got broken bones and stuff, yeah, it's it's not going to be a quick fix, sadly. And they'll, they'll miss his free kicks, won't they? They will miss his free kicks. They will indeed. And I think, you know, the answer to your question, Mike, is that they're going to have to. They've got no, they've got no choice. Mm. Um, and mm. they're going to have to find someone to step up and fill his shoes because everything had started to improve. The fans' belief levels went up. The team was shining, good to watch. Now this is the test. Now mm. this is the test. And how the head coach is going to manage that, well, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, from a player's perspective, Aid, you know, if you're going to look at someone stepping up to fill that sort of almost like an emotional void, Dan Byrne. Mm. Yeah, here's someone, you know, boyhood fan. When you've got that sort of emotional commitment to a club as a player, does it make a difference? It must do. It must do because it means that a little bit more. It's it's really hard because when you're a professional footballer, you've got to be professional. You've got to give you give all that you've got for the badge. And, and and players that have no connection with, with with certain clubs do that, don't they? But but I do think there's something extra. It, it, there can be a downside to it as well in that if you don't perform and if the results don't go your way, then you can feel it more personally. And I think that might be the the issue. I think he'll feel the highs 
more than the other guys. The, the wins will mean more. But when it doesn't go well, it could it could impact him. So so it doesn't necessarily mean that this transfer is destined for, for great success because that kind of pressure and what goes on inside your head can make a lot of difference to, to individuals. So I, I just hope he can kind of keep that level-headedness. Most footballers can. They're able to sort of detach themselves. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fares and and and, and where he plays really because Matt Target is kind of left back, isn't he? He's been brought into play. So it will be centre-half. Who's it going to be alongside? Is it Shah? Is it Lascelles? Will they go to a back three? There's a few few question marks there. But but yeah, I'm pleased for him. But but yeah, it's not going to be a you know one sort of bed of roses, I don't think. Mm. What about West Ham, Anne-Marie? Do you get any sense... I don't, you know, I don't want to go over the arguments again, although I think West Ham were in the wrong in playing Zuma. But that controversy, do you think they've been diverted by that in any way or have they just sort of gone on their own sweet way? It's business as usual. Football mm. is the business. It's, it's business as usual. And that's the short answer to that one. I think because, you know, there's got, they've got a lot at stake. They want that top four. For sure, what it you know, like you said, no need to go over old ground. So let's focus on going forward. You know, somebody that's really stepped up, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is Jared Bone for me. He's going to be mm. massive for them for a long time. West Ham have relied on Mikel Antonio and his hamstrings to pull them through, and now that they've got someone else, Jared Bone. I mean, I feel for side Ben Rami. He must be looking on, going, "What on earth?" Because he was meant to be the person who's meant to be the shine, the, the that's second striker but it's Jarrah Bone who's flying right now so I think it is business as usual for them he's doing brilliantly he's been absolutely devastating with that left foot of his scintillating really and I think I read somewhere that I think he's now joint top scorer with Antonio which shows how far and come he's come so yeah that if it's for West Ham it's all about getting those three points and keeping the pressure up um, to make sure that they get top four because right now actually nobody looks like that they want top that fourth spot but uh West Ham I'm sure will do everything in their power to make sure that they still have a voice in the game yeah, Jared Bowen's got to be a team of the season contender he has to be because you think when he came as well if you cast your memory back I don't think David Moyes signed him it, it was a player that the club had identified and I remember he was left out of the first few games and David Moyes was not I don't know he wasn't uh, enamoured he wasn't. No, I don't think he was. I, don't, I think he was. It was a little bit sort of underwhelmed by it. But he's grown and grown and grown. And part of that is down to David Moyes as well and the coaching staff for helping you know to develop his game, for giving him the opportunities. Only Mo Salah has had more goals and assists. So you know, direct goal contributions. He's had sixteen, eight goals, eight assists. This is the stat that that staggers me though. Only two players have had more shots on target than Jared Bowen this season. And no prizes for guessing who they are. Mo Salah and Harry Kane. So he's three. In terms of like opposition goalkeepers being on your toes. Yeah, of course they're going to be on their toes when they're playing Salah and and Kane and and all these other famous famous forwards. Jared Bowen is is next in line in terms of a goal threat, which I find remarkable really, considering he is a second striker, a, a wide player. So, I mean, Gareth Southgate has got a decision to make, hasn't he? Really, because he's got a lot. He's stacked in that position, but can you ignore a player that 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 is second only to those guys in terms of, of firing shots on target? I, I don't think you can. He's got to get an opportunity between now and the World Cup, and yeah, it'd be fascinating to see if he can be sort of find a place in the in the England team. Yeah, what about Wolves, Emery? You know, best probably defence of the contenders for the for the top or that fourth place but they've only scored 24 goals do you think they're capable of making uh, the top four dark horses for sure I don't think any of us would have predicted at the beginning of the season that Wolves will be up in the mix in the conversation of having a top four I think top six maybe maybe for them I think you know they've massively gone under the radar but those wins against Manchester United and and Tottenham drawing with Chelsea. The next few games, though, are going to be a big, big test because they've got Arsenal coming up and, you know, West Ham, who we just talked about, also wanting top four. But, you know, what's in their favour is they've got two games in hand, so that's a massive advantage for them. But, yeah, I wouldn't have 
predicted them at all. But then that's the beauty of the Premier League, isn't it? And other leagues as well, before everyone starts jumping on me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think um, somebody for me, I know that, you know, Raul Jimenez is a lot of focus on him, but Ruben Nevins, I think, doesn't get the credit he deserves sometimes as a holding midfielder for that team because he drives everything. He's he's like a human engine in that squad. So, and I, you know, credit to Bruno Large as well, because again, when he was appointed, there was a lot of eyebrows raised going, who is this bloke? You know, what can he do? And and he's delivering the, for the moment. So, yeah, it makes the top four race even more exciting because you've got, what, four or five teams that are definitely in the mix and, and Wolves deserve to be part of that conversation. Yeah, I must admit, I've been really impressed recently by uh, Daniel uh, Pedence as well. Leicester at Molyneux on Sunday, Aid. What do we read if anything, into that 4-1 win over Randers on Thursday night in the competition that uh, Brendan Rodgers purported to say didn't exist or didn't know it existed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can read anything into it um, because, yeah, they would have been expected to win win handsomely, to score goals. And, and the issue for Leicester City isn't scoring goals. They've got great forward players haven't they I, I like Daka as a sort of stand-in for Vardy's it's tremendous and Harvey Barnes Madison all these guys Tielemann they're really good players and they will always score goals Leicester City it is sort of the other end of the pitch where where they'll have to be a bit you know where they have to improve and and recruitment as well I, I, I look at the players that they brought in last summer not Terrible players, like Lookman, Vestergaard, Bertrand, Samare and Dakar. If every single player at Leicester City was fit and available now, sort of, what are we, you know, more than six months on from signing them, would any of them be in the first 11? They wouldn't. So they've topped up the squad but not improved the team. And I think that, that yeah, that's not that's not ideal, really. So... So this summer is a big one for, for Leicester City. And it'll be fascinating given Villa are going to be ambitious, Newcastle, Everton under Frank Lampard. It's going to be fascinating to see how deep those, those they're going to dig into those pockets, Leicester City, to to back Brendan, who who has been reported to be under, under a little bit of pressure because defensively he's not found a solution, has he? This season they've been bad since the start of the campaign at the back. They've been terrible defending set pieces since the start of the campaign. So there are a few eyes on Brendan, but but I wouldn't change him. I would just bring in better defenders. Mm, yeah, I, I must admit, I've, I've got a lot of um, affinity with, with Leicester's aims in the wider sense. You know, they're, they, you know, they've got great links with the community. Oh, brilliant. There is a good feel about that football club. But I suppose you've still got the economic realities. You know, someone like... Tielemans, for instance, Anne-Marie, you know, it looks very unlikely that he'll sign a new contract. So therefore, he will move on unless they do have that reputation, a bit like Southampton, I suppose, where you know they sell players, okay, at very good prices, you know, Harry Maguire, 80 million, but you know, they're a selling club ultimately at the very, very highest level. Yes, they are. And they're at a stage right now, Leicester, that they've got the fantastic new training ground, They've announced now that they're going to be having a statue for their late owner. You mentioned the links into the community. Brendan Rogers, in terms of his managerial experience. And there's a team right now that are just, as Clarkie rightly pointed out, that are struggling from the back. So, you know, I'm a bit surprised about Yuri Tielemans, actually. You know, is he 24 25 maybe he's looking for that next that's this is the time now he's looking for that big 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 deal and I think you know someone will snap him up for sure but I think Patson Dacca and when Jamie Vardy gets back from injury I think I think Leicester will be okay I think it's hard for them this season because they've had what was it last last season the season before that you know so close in terms of European I mean they are playing in Europe but not at the you know Champions League it hasn't worked out you know, there was big aspirations for them. They they were the defending champions of the FA Cup. They're out of the FA Cup. You know, maybe this season just should be seen as a bit of a, a write-off and look to, you know, start again, reset in the new season. And if Tielemans is going, so be it. The one thing that Leicester have in their back pocket, I, 
I think they've done okay recruitment wise over the last few years and they, they have a belief and they have a system that seems to have worked for them. They just need to keep going with that. But yeah, just the levels of expectations of where they're going to finish this season, I think just have to be managed a little bit. But hey, if they win the Europa, Europa Conference, don't they get a chance to get into mm. the Europa League next season, yeah. I think? Mm. They should, but must be among the favourites to yeah. win the, the conference oh, yeah. league. It's got to be. So no, I think they should go for it. On Tielemans and, and indeedy, actually, you do wonder a little bit about their motivation. It, it's a bit like when Leicester won the league. It's never going to get any better than that, was it? So N'Golo Conte and Riyad Mahrez thought, you know, and, and rightly so, for the sake of their careers, moved on to a big team while they were hot. After the glory of the FA Cup, it's not going to happen every year for Leicester to get those great moments, is it? So I think that Tielemans and Ndidi are looking at their age, mid-twenties. We could play for a Champions League club. They're definitely good enough. And I just sent with both of them, they've not been at boiling point. Do you know what I mean? You think they've I think, dropped yeah. off, haven't they? they yeah, they've dropped off. Uh, to shine at any level of the game, you've got to be fully immersed in it and at boiling point. And I think they've just been a little bit simmery this season, the pair of them. And and as a consequence, their, their form's dipped. Yeah, well, talking of, I suppose, lukewarm, Manchester United, Emery, they're currently fourth. It's a very, very simple question. How? <laughs> I bet that's one Roy Keane asks himself every day when it comes to Manchester United. <laughs> How are Manchester United? This, you know, this is Manchester United. How are they in this position? Oh goodness me! Oh, the woes of Manchester United. It's it's too complex for me to even try and summarise in in thirty seconds. I have no idea what's going on with them. I mean, look, they're fourth right now, which is you know okay, calm. They're on forty three points. They're probably aware that West Ham are, you know, two points behind them. Okay, calmness right now <laughs> is needed. It's just that there isn't a day that goes by that there isn't a story about Manchester United in the newspapers or on social media right now. And that must be incredibly difficult to operate under. I saw some comments over the weekend that about Ralph Ranić seems to be, seems to have forgotten how to coach a team because he spent so many years being a suit up in the boardroom being a sporting director, which I thought was incredibly harsh because he's coming into an entrenched culture of a club that has operated for a certain way for many, many years. And it's going to take a long time to unpick all that. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a season. And and I know most United fans are going to dislike me for saying this, but you have to look at what where, where Liverpool were at five seven seasons ago to where they are now and it's the same with City and you know other clubs as well so I know there is that thing that Manchester United should be up there and of course they should be up there challenging being competitive but there are things that have happened over the last few seasons that have eaten into that and it's going to take a long time to repair. Yeah a lot was made wasn't it about Ranić using a, a sports psychologist you know, I, I looked at that and thought, well, I'd, I'd get a relationship counsellor. There's probably a better bet at the moment when you think about it. Well, you know, you'd be around the game and that sort of natural tension between the media and players' aid. What was that significance, do you think, of that social media spat between Marcus Rashford and a prominent German journalist about, you know, the perceived influence and the perceived Ronaldo clique? At Old Trafford. Yeah, he, he jumped on it straight away, didn't he, Marcus Rashford? I, I, do, I do think there'll be a, a frustration because inside the dressing room, I'm sure it's not as bad as people make out in the media. And, and if they see something written that that is just nonsense, then then they do not have a platform, don't they, to go out there and quash that straight away. And, and, and I think when we don't see that... <laughs> That's more telling when when players don't when don't react to stories in the paper. I think that that tells you that they're, they're true. <laughs> but when they do, but when they do, like Marcus did, I, I, I'm inclined to to absolutely believe him. And and Cristiano Ronaldo has been a dedicated professional, you know, for, for you know t- two decades. He's a good pro, a good influence. I'm sure he is. Not all going to be best mates. He'll have his pals. Some of the other boys will have theirs. It, does, it doesn't matter really. The stories that should alarm United fans most are 
that the players aren't doing what the manager wants. You know, that's 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 a major concern. Players should 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 take on board the instructions and, and crack on with it. Even if you play for Man United or Morecambe, just do it. Get on with it and, and, and let's see where you go. Because Ranić deserves that respect. All I will say about Man U and this, this quest for fourth is that, that in terms of goal threat, they've still got it. They're, they're third only in terms of open play goals to, to Liverpool and City. They're the next in line for goals in open play. They create chances. I think they rank third for chances created. They le- leak too many shots. David De Gea is way too way too busy. On the flip side, <laughs> Watford have faced fewer shots than Manchester United. What a damning indictment that is! Wow. Um, <laughs> of of their off the ball work, which Hassan Hootel highlighted, which Ranić has highlighted. You know they do need to work better as a team. But I'm not. I wouldn't write them off. They're not. They're not in a total mess, and they have they have good players. So uh, yeah, I think they've got time to make top four but they've got to kind of forge and, and become one with themselves and most certainly with the manager yeah they're at uh, Ellen Road on Sunday Anne-Marie you know that is one of those traditional tribal rivalries isn't it you know pretty acidic uh, the, the ground will be buzzing sort of game where maybe form goes out the window because if you look at Leeds you've got to be a bit concerned about them at the moment I'm so excited for Sunday for this match Honestly, just you can. I'd I'd love to be there actually and just absorb the atmosphere that's going to be at Elland Road. And I've seen already in the local press they've you know the police have advised everyone to enjoy the occasion, of course, as much as possible, because you know what this is going to be. It's going to be massive on Sunday between these two teams. And yeah, I think you know whoever's going to be refereeing that game, good luck. You know, I think we're going to see some yellow cards for sure. Interesting if Dan James plays, facing his old club. It's going to be a fortress, isn't it? Yes, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, you know, Leeds for them, they've had a, a trying season for sure with COVID and injuries and there's talk about, you know, Marcelo Bielsa, is he going to be there next season? That talk has already started. Patrick Bamford's been a massive loss for them, I would say. Calvin Phillips as well when he was out. Is he still injured? I believe. Yeah, he's, yeah, out, he's yeah. still and, out. And Le- Le Cooper as well yeah. at the back. The, the whole spine yep. got, got ripped out. It's, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a, a major sort of mitigating circumstance for, for, for why they've struggled. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. But it's going to be exciting. And I'm glad that it's a broadcast uh, match as well. So uh, on Sunday, it's going to be a good one. Good. To sort of pull things together now, really, uh, you know, we started by looking at one side of North London at Tottenham. Uh, let's end at the other, if we could, please. Arsenal, a club with, uh, you know, with you're fairly familiar with, aren't you, both of you? <laughs> um, is this, aid the time to take this opportunity to finish fourth? I've got Brentford at the Emirates on Saturday, obviously with memories of that first day defeat to, to answer. Are they capable of putting something together for the, for the rest of the season? They're capable, yeah. I've, I'm confident that they're, they're capable of of putting a run together. We've seen we've seen some really high standard football at times this season, driven by a bunch of young players that that have outstanding promise. They really do. You know, the age profile of of, of the team has, has has become so much more youthful. Arteta wants to work with those hungry, determined younger players, and 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 yeah, they, they, they've been excellent. But they can't do it on their own. It can't all just be about Saka and Smith Rowe and White and Gabrielle and Tierney, these guys, and, and Ramsdale. It can't just be on their shoulders. If Arsenal are going to make top four, they need a significant improvement from Alexander Lacazette, from Granit Xhaka and from Thomas Partey in, in the, in the run-in. If those three step up and produce the, the standard of performance that they're capable of, coupled with, with, with the, the drive of the younger players, then they can do it. They really can. And, and the door is ajar, isn't it? With United, you know, not being sensational, Spurs struggling, West Ham maybe overachieving. I think I, I think it's there for Arsenal this season, but it can't be just down to the kids. The senior pros have to match their quality. If you look at the broader context of the club, Emery, you know, there's a younger squad profile, which obviously bodes well for the future. 
Stan Kroenke, the owner, now he's happy to spend really big to win the Super Bowl. He even moved, you know, his franchise from St. Louis to, to LA. Will he do likewise in the Premier League? Well, he's going to be in a celebratory mood, isn't he, after what happened at, at the Super Bowl? And of course, some Gunners fans will lament about the lack of spending for Arsenal, considering what Stan Kroenke did for the LA Rams. And they're still feeling that repercussion, aren't they, from moving from St. Louis to, to LA? Because that did not go down entirely well. <laughs> I think that, you know, Kroenke and his family are going to have to continue redoubling their efforts to bring silverware to the club. And I think everything that happened with the European Super League, actions are going to be under intense scrutiny going forward for the next good five years, I would say. And that's something that they brought onto themselves, quite frankly, with the club. So, you know, you've seen now Josh Kroenke, the son, taking a more active role. He talked about, I'm sure you saw that interview, he talked about understanding the level of passion that's involved in European football. It's not the same in America at all. It's it's a much deeper thing over here. And, and you're hearing now the proposals for the club in terms of investing money in the roof and new ticket turnstiles and things like that. And I do wonder, had they seen what was going on at Old Trafford up in the Northwest, knowing that that's under some, you know, needs some repair and, you know, the, well, how old's the Emirates now, Clarkie? What, 10, 10, 15 years old? Yeah, it must Something be. Something like that. Yeah, over 15, I think. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it looks tired. It, looks it does t- look tired. And compared yeah. to the other lot down the road mm. who've had that nice shiny stadium, <laughs> of course. So, yes, Invest in infrastructure, definitely. The squad, Clarkie's right in terms of, you know, cannot rely on the younger players. That means it's significant investment in the summer, which is the reason why they didn't spend. But yes, if Kroenke is happy to spend big to win the Super Bowl, then he's going to be prepared to do the same for silverware for the Premier League. Well, he's climbed that mountain, hasn't he? Don't, no need to worry about the, the, the NFL anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Just, that, it ticks off. That, yeah, it's all done. Exactly. New st- great stadium, won the Super Bowl. Right, now concentrate on Arsenal. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, there has been a lot of, of talk, hasn't there, about you know the Emirates Stadium facelift, specifically about incorporating a statue of Arsene Wenger. To be honest, and I've not got the emotional engagement of you guys, but... I can't conceive of any true Arsenal fan objecting to the thought of that statue being erected. The honour, I think, is the least he deserved because he built a modern club in his image. OK, you can pick holes and, you know, I think, personally, I find it quite sad he's become an apologist for FIFA and their political aims, but he remains one of the formative figures in the English game. Do you agree? Please let me know. In the meantime... Thanks to Adrian and Anne-Marie for their insight. And thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.